0: This morning, our passage in Romans chapter 8 brings us to the edge of a difficult concept. It is specifically the role of suffering in the life of the Christian. How many of you knew that Romans 8 talks a lot about suffering? It's not a concept that we really tie to Romans chapter 8, right? Because we talked about all the verses last week, we talked about there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We know uh, that in all things, God works for the glory of those. We know that nothing can separate us from the love of God. These are all the things that we remember about Romans chapter 8. But Romans chapter 8 also talks about how difficult life is and how much you will, not if you will, You will have to deal with suffering in your life. Now, we have long struggled with this idea that the people of God suffer. If we were completely honest with ourselves, all of us have thought at one time or another, why did God allow this to happen to me? why did god allow this to happen to my family why did god allow this to happen to my friends and when we have these moments of questioning which i want you to know are very normal those are normal questions to ask because in these moments what we are really asking for is we're asking where is god in the middle of these things that are happening and i can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people that don't believe in God and don't want to believe in God, and suffering is the number one thing they bring up, how is it that God allows this to happen in the world? If God was loving, how would he allow that? It's a difficult idea. And there are very various reasons why we might carry the idea That God should keep us from suffering. We believe that God, as our loving Father, frankly, just should protect us from suffering. We believe that God, as our loving Father, should heal us from whatever illnesses we may face. I mean, shoot, there have even been some churches that preach what's called a prosperity gospel. And in the prosperity gospel, it not only says that God will be with you, but it says that God will materially bless you if you have enough faith and trust and belief in him. All of these things and more tie into really kind of the way that we think God should love us. You know what I mean? Like, yes, God said he loves us, but all these things are still happening to us. So we really think that God maybe should love us in a different way than he is. That he should protect us more, that he should give us more. But the biblical truth about this matter is drastically different than any of those ideas that we just talked about. And when Paul wrote the letter to the churches, the letters to the churches, I mean, Um, he assumed that they were probably facing some sort of suffering, some sort of persecution, some sort of uh, opposition to their faith and their life and everything that they wanted to do. And Paul, this is important for us to understand, Paul would not, he would not understand our world today. Because the norm for Christians was to live so radically different that you almost, you weren't accepted by society. And he couldn't conceive of a world where Christianity would just be okay and normal. It's kind of weird, right? He, he didn't understand that world. He lived with suffering all the time. And yet Paul also believed that God made him victorious. And that God makes all who belong to Christ victorious. Which leads me to an important question that I want you to think about. If we have this definition of God's love for us, that God is going to uh, keep all the bad things from happening to us, is that definition of God's love for us too shallow? Because, I mean, it is a shallow definition. Because that idea of love is all about whom? Me. And I want God to fix things for me. I want God to shield me from these kinds of things. So did we create this version of God or this idea of God or this prosperity God? Because it falls in line with What we think should happen on God's part. I mean, if God would just sit down with me for a few minutes, I could straighten a whole bunch of things out. How are we to understand where God is when we suffer? Let's recap what we covered last week. Number one, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the opening line to chapter eight. The promises of God are built upon our need for him and do not promise a perfect life. Number three, the spirit of God is what makes living a new life possible. Number four, we will continue to struggle with our sinful nature, but the spirit of God draws us closer to God, helping us to stay connected to him. Number five, the spirit lives inside of us, showing God that we belong to him. And number six, God has promised us as his God has adopted us I mean as his children making us heirs of his promises and number 7 just as Jesus suffered we too will suffer Now I cannot emphasize this point strongly enough So I'm just I'm I'm, I'm going to say it again Paul wrote these words to a people who were suffering and they were suffering ways that we could not imagine I mean if you just take the church in Rome Rome was becoming an increasingly hostile place, not only to Christians, but to Jews as well. In many cities, Christians were persecuted. They were meeting in secret and feared for their safety on a daily basis. So I want you to understand that the people that Paul is writing to, they understood that being a Christian was not a safe endeavor. So they didn't understand that coming to Jesus... Uh, that having God on their side was going to fix everything for them. So let's pick it up today in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25, and and see what he says about this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Okay, this is a really kind of interesting passage, and there's a lot here for us to unpack. But we have to note that from the very beginning, uh, Paul assumed, again, that people are going to suffer. He acknowledges that at the time they are suffering. So Paul understood very personally what it meant to suffer while still being an empowered child of God, while still understanding that God loved him even though things weren't always going right. Listen to the description that he gives of sort of his state of life in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 3 through 10. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. In purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, and the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich having nothing and yet possessing everything this is how you sell christianity to others folks right this is this is on the flyer in the back so just take one of those with you as you go i i don't know i i'm I'm sure at some point i had read this passage before but as i read it this week it is such an interesting combination of things that if we were to take them On the surface, they seem to stand in opposition to one another. In fact, uh, some of them even seem like a paradox, Like, like they can't both exist in the same space. Things like, we are beaten, but we are powerful. There is so much sorrow, but we rejoice. We have nothing, but we have everything. What does that mean? There is something, you see, in Paul's life that allows him to understand that suffering isn't the end all of his existence. That what is happening to him falls into a broader context. There is something in his life that allows him to see past the suffering and live his life in a deeper victory. And the answers that he had to life to give to others weren't found in making all the bad things stop. They were found in something much bigger than that. So what was the something that allowed Paul to act this way? Well, here's something else interesting, jumping back to Romans chapter 8. It's not only Christians who are suffering. The entire world is suffering. All of creation is suffering along with us. The world that God created has suffered since the fall, and it does not like it. I mean, you know, when we look at the fall of Adam and Eve, we focus very much so on uh, the fact that they are going to have to work, that there will be pain in childbirth, that that death is introduced to the scene. But have you ever thought about what happened to the earth at the fall? Because what we know about Eden, right, is that it was a perfect, beautiful, lovely place. And there was no work that needed to be done to make Eden this beautiful, wonderful place. And then when, when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, they were going to have to work the earth. And there would be thorns and, and vines that they would have to deal with. And so Paul lays out a really interesting concept here for us, which is ever since Adam experienced separation from God, the world also, the earth, experienced separation from God. And Paul spoke here of creation being subjected to frustration. This was not because of some inherent fault in creation, but because this is the situation that the earth was put in by God's choice, by what he decided to do with Adam and Eve. In punishment for his disobedience, Adam again had to bring his food from the ground, cursed with thorns and thistles. But the curse was not permanent. The physical universe was frustrated by what had happened, and yet there was still hope. And so the earth is waiting with us for restoration to come. But this waiting is not easy. In fact, the waiting is like childbirth. Now, I have two kids. I did not birth either of them myself, just to make that clear. But the waiting is pretty awful. You know, uh, Nisha got larger and larger as one is wont to do when they are having a baby. And if you've seen uh, a a woman who is, you know, like eight and a half months, you can just see on their faces that they are ready for this to be over. You know? Like that if they could just make that sucker come out, they would do it. And then you have to go to the hospital and you have to wait And you have to wait for it to be the right time. And you have to wait for contractions to be close enough. And you have to wait and wait and wait. And I don't know if you remember this story, but when we went uh, to have Jed at the hospital, uh, they examined Nisha and said that she wasn't ready and sent us home. And I have never seen her so crushed in her life as when she was told to go home and wait. Of course, her water broke in the garage at home, and we had to run, you know, drive back like maniacs to get there. Um, the, the earth is frustrated. And it, it's, it's waiting for this restoration to come. And, and it's like this childbirth. It, it, it knows what the end result is going to be, which, as Paul says a couple of times here, that the end result is Glory restoration, renewal, but there's a lot of pain in getting to that point, and there's also a lot of waiting, and while you may understand that getting to this point of glory in God's restoration is coming, and it's going to happen that that child will finally get here, there's a lot of painful moments that have to happen before he comes, So Paul gives us somewhat of a beautiful picture of the earth suffering and longing for God, struggling through this time away from him, but pushing forward because the earth knows that restoration, new birth is coming. And we are in partnership with creation as this is going on, as we wait with the spirit of God for what is to come. And even so that we are waiting with the spirit of God, we have, we have great hope because the, the spirit is living inside of us and it helps us to have hope while we wait. Because when we're somewhere and we're in pain and we're suffering, what is one of the first good feelings to go away? I mean it's it's hope, right? This when you when you deal with recurring pain over and over again when you know someday it's gonna end, but you don't know when that day is, and the day keeps getting further and further and further out. So the spirit living inside of us helps us to have hope while we wait. And life in the spirit right now is a taste of what's to come. But we have not yet achieved what is to come. We hope for it. But Paul says that hope, by its very definition, is looking forward to something you have not yet attained. So while you are here, you're waiting And listen, waiting stinks. We don't like deferred gratification. We have fast food for a reason. But all of creation, church, is in the same boat, waiting for the new that is to come. And that is the hope we look forward to. God returning, restoring, and bringing his glory. Now there is good news for us that even though we are living in suffering even though we are in this uh, this time of waiting there is good news for us which is this the spirit that God has given us helps us to navigate this time of suffering not only does it keep our hope out in front of us like he says in the previous verses but it helps to communicate between God and us so let's pick it up in Romans chapter 8 verses 26 through 27. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Now, we cannot underestimate the importance of what Paul just said. Because, as we mentioned at the very beginning, When we are suffering and we feel it is unjust, who do we question? We question God. And we go back to those feelings. God, how could you allow this to happen? God, how could you allow this to happen to me? I love you. I'm I'm a, I'm a Christian. How could I have cancer? How could I have this disease? How could any of these bad things happen? Well, to be clear, okay, the spirit doesn't take suffering away. Instead, what it does is help us to communicate with God while we are in the midst of suffering and waiting for God to return and make things new. And I know that doesn't always feel like the most helpful thing God could do. Oh, thank you, God, for helping me pray to you while things stink in my life. Like, that's great. I really appreciate it. But we have to look back to the point of the previous section. And the point of the previous section, again, was we are suffering, but we are waiting for great hope for what is to come. And and this isn't easy. And so during this time, as we're waiting and we're suffering, we're speaking to God and, and, and we're asking for God to deliver us, to heal us, to help us, even while we were living in this place. And so what does the Spirit do? The Spirit helps us to hold on to the hope by opening up communication between God and us because the Spirit living inside of us understands our sufferings and groanings. It knows deep pains and fears, and it takes those pains, Paul says, before God. It takes those pains before God because, you see, when we are suffering and waiting, we are weak, we're tired. We don't know that we could go another day. And we just want God to either return or make things better. Like, please, God, can you make that happen? And we pray those things to God. And here's something beautiful. The Spirit who knows our hearts speaks to God for us and intercedes for us through wordless groans, wordless groans, meaning the spirit is speaking to God the things we cannot even articulate, the things that you can't even say. And for those of you who have been in the midst of deep, deep pain, you know what that means, not having the words, not being able to say to God what's happening and, and, and even what you need from him so the beauty of this is that the spirit is speaking to god and god understands he knows the mind of the spirit and the spirit understands us so therefore god understands us in a deep personal intentional way he understands what the spirit desires even though it is expressible in human t- inexpressible in human terms and god through the spirit has Complete access to our hearts. So the Spirit makes us known to God so that even if we may not know what to ask Him or how to ask Him, He sees right into our hearts through the mind of the Spirit. And this helps us to keep our hope for what is to come alive so that while church, we may be bent by what is happening in us or around us or in our lives, but we are not broken. This is important. You might be bent, but you are not broken because the Spirit of God is living inside of you and is reminding you that you have hope for what's to come, the glory of God, the restoration, the renewal, and that, yes, you have to hold on, but the Spirit is with you and helping you to carry on to the next day, the next step, whatever it may be. And God knows. God knows. He's not ignoring you. He's not, he's not neglecting you. He's not pushing you away. God knows, and the spirit living inside of us makes that happen. Okay, so last question. What is it that we are waiting for exactly, and what is the hope that keeps us going on in the middle of our suffering? Well, church, I've got a good verse for you, and only now do I think in the context of all these other things can you really understand it. What is it that allowed Paul to rejoice in the middle of suffering? What is it that the Spirit is trying to tell us as it intercedes between us and God? And here's what it is saying. You are not alone, and the suffering that you face will not define you. You have great hope because God is going to raise you above the world. He is going to restore and make new. And here's the deal. When we are in the middle of our suffering, we get so wrapped up in in what is happening to us that we forget the bigger picture. And we allow the difficulties of life to absorb all of our attention and effectively blot out what God has planned for us. But all that is happening... Is not the definition of who we are because we are in Christ. And God is always, Paul says, working to conform us to the image of Jesus. Jesus who was the radical lover of humanity. Jesus who was despised and hated. Jesus who was beloved and trusted and treasured. Jesus who suffered and died. Jesus who rose victorious. Defeating sin and death, Jesus, who will return to restore, we are being made into His image. Let's put this in a more immediate context, okay? And and the way that we have typically applied verse 28. Uh, Does having cancer always work out for your good? Not no, right? We can we can agree. Um, does losing a loved one always work out for your good? No. I think we can agree on that too. Does all of the hardship and trouble that you have in your life always work out for good for you? No. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Well, then what does that mean? If so many things here are left unresolved. And here's why we turn to that specific verse in the middle of these kinds of hard things. We want there to be specific purpose to our suffering. And so we immediately search for God to give meaning. Immediately. You know, oh, you know, I have this, this thing. God is going to teach me something through this thing which may be very true. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, or, or, or God has made this happen so that you know, this will happen. I remember when I was growing up, and it was a terrible thing when I was growing up, um, a, a young uh, kid that went to our church fell into a, a pool and drowned. He was about four years old. And I think I was in junior high at the time, and we were at a friend's house when we heard about it. And the the woman whose house we were at was was trying to talk us through it a little bit and here's what she said she said maybe god caused the child to drown because he was going to be a serial killer when he got older yeah that that actually that actually happened um so we are quick to look for meaning. We just are. And we, we say, you know, this is happening to me because God wanted this to happen. And worse yet, the, one of the worst things we can do is fall into the trap of telling others what God is doing through their suffering. Here, let me help you put your suffering into context. Because I am an astute observer of the human condition. And I've read a book about what's going on with you. It's hard to read all of this together and understand that God working for good means he is going to take all the painful things away or teach us something right away. So what I want to suggest to you is the same thing I kind of asked you earlier. We know that all things work for the good of those. And is it possible that the definition we've tried to give those words, again, is too shallow. It's not enough. The definition we've given to this is not enough. What is God doing then? And what does Paul mean when he says those words? Because he means them. Where is he going with this? And I think what he wants those who are in the middle of suffering to know in this passage is that God is doing bigger things in the world. When you are in Christ, adopted by God, you can have confidence that God is always working in your life, that the Spirit is always present, interceding for you. And let me tell you something. We do have a God who is capable of redeeming all things no matter how awful they are not taking them away, redeeming them, making them into something different. Past that, even, Jesus suffered, and our suffering helps us to become more like him because just As God bringing restoration helps us to be more like Jesus, so too does our dealing with the hardship of life and trusting God make us more like Jesus. How many times do we have to remind ourselves how difficult Jesus' life was? Jesus suffered. But beyond that, God's ultimate victory over pain, death, suffering, and hurt, Jesus won that for us. So even though he suffered and died, he also experienced ultimate victory over sin and death. And what that means to us is that God's ultimate victory over pain and death and suffering is already won. And that may not affect the thing that is happening to you at this moment. But God has already won the end of your story. He's already written it. That all of the things of this earth will fall away and you will be renewed. The hope that we have is not that God will fix this one thing for us, but that God will fix all things for all time. You see, it's so much more. And so we wait for that day. We wait with the knowledge that God is returning. That God is good and has written the rest of our story. That through all things, as we are conformed to Jesus, we are being led closer to that day of restoration. And we know in the middle of this that we have nothing to fear. Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit keeps our hope alive. And we know that in all things. God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. And what then? What shall we say then in response to these things? If God is for us who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son. But gave him up for us all. Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's recap. Number one, we along with all creation suffer while we are waiting for God to return in glory. The Holy Spirit keeps hope alive by giving us a taste of what is to come. It also connects us to God so that God knows our deepest heart. But no matter what may come, we know that God is always working for good. Always. And God's promise that he will return and restore is the ultimate victory. That gives us great hope. And church, nothing will undo the victory that God has won for us. Next week is Easter, where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to go over those verses, chapter 8, verses 31 through 39 again. But in all that we have seen so far, there, there's something I, I, I don't want you to miss, and that is, you know, yeah, life is hard. And yes, we do struggle and we do suffer. But if there's one thing you should be getting out of Romans chapter 8, it's not that, that God fixes everything. It's that, that God is with you. That God knows you. That God is working for you at all times in all things and the story that he has written for you when this life passes away.